Hi, uh, my name's Matt. Uh, usually here at uh, Eastgate Bible Church, uh, our sermons will work through a particular book of the Bible. However, recently we've been doing a topical series on promises that propel, uh, which will conclude next week. But today we'll be doing something a little bit different. Uh, this isn't part of a bigger series. Uh, it's just a single standalone sermon from the Gospel of John. Uh, before we begin, uh, let us pray, because we all need prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, as we open up your word today, we come to hear from you, for you to speak your truth. I pray that the words that I say will be your words, and that anything untrue from my lips will fall away and not cause anyone to stumble. I pray that we will all have soft hearts and open ears to hear what you have to say, to learn from you, to know more about you, and to grow closer to you. Amen. Looking at today's passage, there are many different things that I could talk about. I could talk about the calling of the disciples and the timeline of how this fits in with the other Gospels. Or I could talk about the significance of the renaming of Simon to Peter. Or I could talk about what Jesus meant when he said, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. But no. Instead today, I'm going to focus on a question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? This is a question that has been hotly discussed and contested for the past 2,000 years. For some of you, you may think that you know the answer, and you may. For others, you may even think, why does it even matter? My hope and prayer for you today is that no matter if you know who Jesus is or you doubt his very existence, that each and every one of you will both know a little bit more about Jesus, but more importantly, that you'll grow in your understanding of what he has done for you. If I was to take a survey to the question, who is Jesus, I'm sure I would get many different responses. Take a quick moment to stop and think about it. What would you say if someone asked you, who is Jesus? Some people say that Jesus is a good teacher with lessons on how to live peaceably with others and live the best life. Some will say he's a good philosopher. Others will say Jesus is a prophet. Some will say he's just a myth or just a result of the combination of a bunch of other myths put together. Some will say he is my friend. Some will say he's a cool guy. Some might even say he is my saviour. But if I was to stop and ask you, who is Jesus, what would you say? Why are there so many different responses? Is there only one answer? Is everyone right? Well, no, but the answer is somewhere in the middle. Let me use an analogy. I'm sure you've all heard of the story about the blind man and the elephant, but let me retell it to you. The quick version is this that an elephant comes to town and each blind man tries to describe what it is by touching it. But each blind man touches a different part of the animal. One touches its side and describes it as a wall. Another touches his tail and talks it like a rope. And the last blind man touches his tusk and characterises it as a spear. While this is not a perfect analogy, it's a bit like that when we view Jesus. 
There's so many parts of Jesus to know. Many people may focus on one or two parts and ignore the rest. Some will say, Jesus is a good teacher. Others will say, he is my best friend. And while he can be described in both of these ways, he is so much more than that. And this is what we'll be talking about today. As we see in this small passage, there are three different answers here from three people. From Andrew, John the Baptist, and Nathaniel. And their answers, Jesus is teacher. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And Jesus is King. These answers are not at all exhaustive. And there are many more ways to describe Jesus than what we'll be covering here today. Brothers and sisters, it is my hope that as we go through this passage today, that this will get you thinking about how you would answer the question and how your life reflects your answer. First, we'll be looking up at Andrew and his answer the first time he met Jesus. From John 1, 37 to 39. The two disciples heard him, being John the Baptist, say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. We learn later on that one of these two disciples is Andrew, And the other is very likely to be the author John, sometimes called John the Evangelist, who does his best from refraining, uh, refrain from mentioning himself. They meet Jesus and call him Rabbi, which means teacher. Now this is a common and respectful title that people call Jesus. His disciples often called him teacher, as do many others, including Nicodemus, who at the time did not believe in him, and Mary when she saw him in the garden after the resurrection. And Jesus certainly had a reputation as a teacher. Throughout the four Gospels, most of the accounts have Jesus teaching in some fashion or another, and in many different ways. Through the events like Sermon on the Mount, or his many parables, or the many different times he took his disciples away to a quiet place to teach them, or when he used the events unfolding before him as an example to the disciples to the times where he fed multitudes who had come to hear Jesus teach them. Even after Jesus had died and rose again, Jesus spent 40 days in solid teaching with his closest friends. A great number of people limit Jesus' wisdom and teaching to useful pearls of wisdom, guidelines for peaceful living, tips on how to live the best life now, or his teaching is all just about love. But what did Jesus spend most of his time talking about? He spent his time talking about the kingdom of God, who God is, what is he like, how he longs for his people to return to him, who we are and how God sees us, and among many other things. Jesus spent three whole years intensely teaching his disciples and still they had much more to learn from him. And Jesus has much more to teach us too. This is the one who designed and stretched out galaxies and coded and knitted our DNA. This is the same one who can perceive our thoughts and knows us better than we know ourselves and whose love and mercy and grace towards us cannot be fathomed. Jesus did not just wait until he knew enough to choose us 
there is no entrance exam. Jesus did not wait until we're perfect to save us either. Jesus did not just select the most holy people. Jesus chose to save us while we were still dirty, wretched sinners. We are not anything special, except that we are special to him. And Jesus longs for us to be like him, to be his disciples. Now, we are never going to be as big as Jesus. We're never going to hold the world in our hands. But it is his desire and our mission to learn what it is like to be a child of God, to learn of his love, to learn of his humility, to learn of his his patience and his obedience, to learn what it cost him to purchase us, to ransom us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Jesus valued teaching so much that when he left the earth to return back to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit which is God, just as Jesus is God. And his spirit is here to guide us and to teach us, as if Jesus himself were here with us now. This learning, this being a disciple, isn't a six-week online, self-paced, interactive whiz-bang training course with a flashy certificate. It is a lifelong commitment and becoming more like him every day of the week, every day of the month, every day of the year, for the rest of your life. But this training, this discipleship, is not a heavy burden or an inconvenient obligation. Learning from Jesus about who he is, his mission, and what he has done for us, what he has done for me, is a journey that will not be complete this side of heaven. It can be tough, and it can be challenging. Being refined and conformed is confronting and uncomfortable. But also, it is such a rewarding and wonderful journey too. And I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about. To learn from Jesus every day is a great privilege and pleasure, and I look forward to the day when my understanding will be fulfilled. The next response we'll be looking at is from John the Baptist and his declaration that Jesus is the Lamb of God. His answer is the most cryptic of the three that we'll look at. But once we unpack it, it is the most revealing about who Jesus is and what was his mission. Verses 35 to 36. The next day again, John, being John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. What does this mean? If someone called out and called me a lamb, I'm not sure that I would take it as a compliment or that it was intended as one. Behold the Lamb of God. For those who are not familiar with this phrase, it would seem like a very odd thing to say. You might expect a bold declaration of who Jesus to be, something like a warrior from God or an angel from God or a king from God, something that displays power and authority. But instead, John uses the name lamb, a weak, defenseless lamb, not at all intimidating or commanding power and authority. So what is the significance of this lamb of God? There are actually a few layers of meaning into these words, and there are many passages that can help us build a picture of understanding. Today, we'll just look at three. 
The first layer we'll look at is from Exodus 12 in the Passover. I'm not going to read it all to you, but I'm going to summarise it for you. Here God is about to come down and take the life of the firstborn of every house in Egypt. But God also provides a way out for those who obey the word of the Lord. They were to sacrifice a lamb, a perfect lamb without blemish, and they would take the blood and they put it on their doorposts. And through the blood of the lamb, they would be saved from judgment. When God looked upon the house, he would see the lamb's blood had been slain on behalf of the people. And God's judgment would pass over that house. And this is remembered every year by the people of Israel. It is the most significant day on the Jewish calendar, the Passover feast. And they remember how God had saved them and brought them out of slavery and into the promised land. The lamb also had continuing significance in the daily activities of the temple. Many of the Levitical laws featured lambs as a means towards forgiveness. In one such, here is a lamb just the same as the Passover. It would be sacrificed by the priest, this time to make atonement for sins. While the lamb itself had no power to save, when the lamb was slaughtered and offered to God, God would look upon the slaughtered lamb and see that it may be accepted, and God would forgive the one in whom the sacrifice was made. The last piece is from Isaiah 53, this passage of the suffering servant. Here, Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah as a lamb, led to slaughter that would bear our iniquity, our sin, and our shame. Listen as I read a small bit from Isaiah. Surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. When we piece it all together, we see that the Lamb of God is such a bold statement about who Jesus is and why he was sent here. A man sent by God a man without sin will be slain on behalf of the people. The death of the Lamb of God is used to make atonement for our sins, or that is, to make right what we have made wrong. God the Father will look upon the Lamb of God and see that he took the punishment and forgive us. And this is exactly what happened 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Jesus was taken by the religious and political leaders, sentenced in a sham trial to appease the crowds that were calling for his death. He was beaten, mocked, despised. He was marched up a small hill outside the city and crucified on a Roman cross. That's right. Jesus, who committed no sin, was brutally murdered by the very people he came to save. He endured the wrath of the Father 
taking the punishment of all my sin and all your sin. But death could not hold him. The Son of God, through whom all things that are made were made, Jesus, who has ultimate power, demonstrated his power over death and defeated death when he was raised to life on the third day. Now, during the final day, when God looks upon us, he will see sinners with no way to hide our shame before him who knows all things. But all that belong to Jesus, God will look upon Jesus and see that he has paid the penalty that we deserved for our sins that we committed. And God will see it just to forgive us. And what do we have to do to be counted as one of Jesus? To gain this forgiveness and escape the punishment that we deserve? Simply to trust and believe that your only hope for salvation is the death and resurrection of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The last response to the question that we'll be looking at is from Nathaniel. Let us start at verse 47. Open up your Bibles, you have to read it yourself. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus makes a declaration on who Nathanael was. Now, this is not a declaration that he was perfect or without sin, but as we would say, he is an honest man. This obviously takes Nathanael back, as he's never met this man Jesus before. But the next phrase from Jesus' lips really makes an impression. Now, I don't need to remind you that this is before the age of friend face and instant snap. Philip hadn't taken a photo and geotagged Nathanael. Jesus, as God, simply knew, as he knows all things. Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This simple phrase was enough to convince Nathanael. This simple display of Jesus' divine knowledge of all things. But now it's Nathanael's turn to make a declaration of who Jesus is. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. There is so much packed into this answer. To unpack it a bit, let's first jump back to verse 45. Philip had found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him in whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So we see that Philip thinks that Jesus is the one. Him whom Moses and the prophets wrote. And Nathanael doubts it. But who or what is the one? Let us journey back to the Old Testament again. While there are a multitude of passages that write about the one, or the Messiah, let us look to 2 Samuel 7, 12-16. In this passage... King David wants to honour God, to build him a house, a temple. But God, through the prophet Nathan, says no, but instead promises to build David's house forever. One of David's descendants 
one of the line of David, will be king, the forever king, that will be the fulfillment of all so many promises. This will be the one who will be a blessing to all nations. This will be the one who will bring forever peace to God's people. This will be the one who will crush the head of the serpent. The one everyone has been looking for. This one will be from David's house. Let us read. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom? He shall build a house for my name and I will establish his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. I think that Nathaniel had this prophecy in mind when he said, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Many people were looking forward to this king, though they would not have expected him to come from Nazareth, a small, insignificant town. But it was just like how Jesus was born, in a stable, not how anyone would expect a king to be born. God does have a history of acting how no one would expect, for his ways are so far above our ways. Many were waiting and expecting a fulfilment of this promise to David, a forever good king to rule over them. But so many were short-sighted in their thoughts. They expected a physical king to rule over them in a physical kingdom, to overthrow the oppression of the Romans and to free Israel and restore her glory. In the same way, many of us are happy to declare Jesus as king, thinking that it will make life easier. He seems like a popular choice. And we pray to him, acknowledge that he is king, and then in the same breath treating him like a genie, asking for what our sinful hearts desire. Fortunately for us, God has bigger plans. Jesus is not just a king, but as God, he is king above all other kings. A king is someone to trust and to love. A king will love and protect his subjects. A king will defeat all your enemies. A king will act in your best interest and supply all that we need. Doesn't that sound amazing? So what do we need to do to be able to enter into this kingdom? Simple. We need to live perfect, holy, sinless lives. Now, who can say that that statement describes them? That's right, no one. No one is able to stand in the light of God's righteousness and live. That is why we need forgiveness. The forgiveness that Jesus offers is true forgiveness that flows from his grace. It isn't a do-over, another chance to do what is right. That is like putting clean clothes on a corpse. It doesn't do very much. We are dead inside because of our sin. But the grace that Jesus offers us cleans us perfectly and makes us truly alive. And it does so much more than that. Not only are we justified, as in, we have made, been made just as if we never sinned. But we've also been given the full righteousness of Jesus as if we had lived completely and perfectly perfect lives, wholly honouring to God. Now 
we are ready to stand in the presence of God. So what is required to stay in this kingdom? Well, Jesus still demands perfect holy people. But just as we did nothing to earn our place in this kingdom, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. His grace is so powerful and so effective that it covers all of our sins, past and future. And also he gives us a companion, the Holy Spirit, to guide us and to teach us and to help us live as Jesus would have us live, as subjects in Jesus' forever kingdom. So, who is Jesus? This is an interesting and complicated question that we've seen today. You can describe Jesus with a single word, God, and your answer is 100% correct. Yet it misses so much of who he is and why he left heaven and came down to earth. And different situations will require different kinds of responses, which are still true. A stranger can ask you on the street, who is Jesus? And will get a different answer, hopefully, than if you are asked the same question by a theological college professor during an exam. Both answers can be right. And that is one of the beautiful things about Jesus. He is a real person. A real person with depth of character, a strong purpose, and a mission that he is working out. You can both give a one-word answer to who is Jesus and you can write a whole essay or a whole sermon for that matter. So we've seen today three declarations of who Jesus is. First, we saw that Jesus is teacher. He is the ultimate teacher to teach us about who he is as God and who we are as his children. Then we saw that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world. And finally, we saw that Jesus is the Son of God and King, a true and perfect King, and his kingdom will never end. The writer of Hebrews describes these three in much more detail with, as prophet, priest, and king, which is more than a whole sermon in and of itself. So the extra reading for today is to go home and read Hebrews, all of it. Now, it's easy to doubt like Nathaniel. This all sounds too unexpected, too counterintuitive, too good to be true. Why would God even care to leave us, to leave heaven and save us? Why would God use a lamb to defeat the greatest enemy we will ever know, Satan? Why would God offer salvation to me? All I have to do is to trust in him. Yes. When we trust in Jesus, he washes us with his grace. He grants us forgiveness and he pours out his righteousness upon us and makes us part of his kingdom, children of God. So what do we do with this information? For those who don't know him, do we say, some nice poetry we read earlier? It was an uncanny, strong coincidence that Jesus happened to fit the promise and prophecy from hundreds of years beforehand. Do we dismiss it because we find it uncomfortable that someone else had to die in our place? And it was an uncomfortable death, to say the least. We can be pretty stubborn and proud people. We want to earn our keep. We want to make it our own way. And it is hard and confronting to be humble and say, I cannot do this on my own. 
I cannot earn my salvation. I cannot make amends for all the wrongs that I have done. I need someone to help me. I need Jesus. For those who do see Jesus for who he is, what is your response? I think looking at back at the responses of today's passage gives us a good example. John the Baptist was telling everyone out loud who Jesus was. Andrew finds his brother Simon, who is later called Peter, and brings him to Jesus. As does Philip, he finds his friend Nathaniel and brings him to see the one that he has found. So for those who believe, this is our mission. To be a disciple of Jesus, to be a learner of all that he is. In fact, you can indict you can devote your entire life to being his disciple, studying his character and putting it into practice that you will have still so much to learn after a full lifetime. Two, to live holy lives and to repent and seek forgiveness for when we stuff up, knowing that Jesus' death has already paid the penalty for those sins. And three, to look forward to the second coming of Jesus, the return of the King where the victorious Lamb of God will return in all his glory and defeat all of his enemies once and for all and establish his forever kingdom and his forever perfect rule. And in the meantime, we are to share of what he has done for us, to tell of his glory to any and all who will listen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your son Jesus, who you sent to earth while we were still sinners to come beside us in our weakness, to teach us and to guide us towards the kingdom of God, to prepare us to take our punishment that we earned, to take the death that we deserved, and then to give us life and forgiveness. Thank you that you poured out your blood and you washed us with your grace and gave us life and forgiveness. Thank you that when you look upon your son, that you see his wounds and that you see it just to forgive us and make us part of your kingdom, a part of your family. We thank you that you are king both now and forever and that you have everything under your control. And all that we can offer you now is our lives and our praise. We thank you, God. Amen.